0: But I try to find some layer or element or multiple layers or elements that would make my shot unique. Because if I had to stop every time I saw a pretty field, a ranch or a farm, I'd, I'd never get anything done. So I'm, I'm really looking for something that grabs my attention in addition to... The...
1: This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olson, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today we are doing something we have never, not even once, done before. We are talking to somebody in the midst of a huge project something that has begun is in the middle of it not even close to finish yet but it is so exciting i thought we need to get into the middle of this and see how it's going we're talking with mark indig mark is of course a member of the frames community you probably know his work very well. He was born in New York, lives in Los Angeles. He spent 42 years in the motion picture industry. He was a studio executive, a producer, a unit production manager. He's worked on little-known films like The Big Chill and Titanic and The Guardian. He spent 15 years as a location manager, which he claims gave him uh, his love of photography and I, I'm going to read something to you here from his own website, and, and it's Mark Indig Photo, everyone. Mark, M-A-R-K-I-N-D-I-G, photos.com. And you got to go there. You got to look at this stuff because this is a resume that is humbling. You look at the portfolios and the projects and you think, I, I want to be this guy when I grow up. But before we, before I get to, you know, to introduce him, I'm going to read just this one thing from his um From his website where someone else says, and then quoting Mark here, I could pass a thousand silos or storefronts, but the one that speaks to me, the one that makes me stop and take a picture is the one that surprises me and makes me wonder what I'm seeing. Mark, how are you doing today? Where are you now?
0: Well, it's great to talk to you again, Scott, in in this context. And I'm in liberal Kansas, which is not.
1: (laughs) You you are you are doing something that just makes me jealous. You you are taking photos on a big road trip. Tell everybody what you're doing.
0: Well, as you read from my website, my whole background in photography was location-based. So most a lot of my projects are based on a location that I wanted to explore. And I've been doing it so many times that I you know, I keep looking for new and interesting road trips. And I came upon this, which is called the Road to Nowhere. It is Route U.S. Route 83, which starts at the Canadian border and goes almost 2,000 miles to the Mexican border. So one road all the way from Canada to Mexico. And what I've done is I've made parameters for the project. So in other words, I felt like I wanted to explore this road like it was a river. And I'm in a boat rather than a car. So I never really leave more than a mile from the road. So anything outside that, I don't go to. I'm just looking at the things that are close along this road that I might see from a boat. And it's a really long road trip to do it (laughs) one time. And I'm going to do this in about a week. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Uh, Mark, talk to me a little bit about why this is even interesting, because it, the name of it is The Road to Nowhere. It is it is advertised as one of the least interesting routes in the North American roadway system. And and I know in my heart that calls to me, but why did that mystique, why did that idea call to you? Well,
0: it's exa- that's exactly what calls to me. And when I first read about it in, in, a, in a book, they talked about it being away from any kind of normal uh, and popular tourist attraction. And I said, that's for me. <laughs> and the idea, the idea of small towns, the idea of, of the landscapes that are very unique to this area, it just appealed to me as, as, a, as a voyage of discovery that I couldn't resist. And the more remote, It is the better it is for me because less people have traveled. I I prob there's probably only a handful of people who have done this trip for photography. Maybe some people you know need to get to North Dakota from Texas and have taken this road, but I would think very few, if any, have done it with the purpose of photography. And I really enjoy finding things that other people would pass by.
1: Well, we're going to get to that in just a second because that is. Absolutely, I think what calls to a lot of photographers, you know, to to celebrate the, the ignored or to celebrate the, the, the little bit unseen. But I want to go back to this idea of a river. I understand it, you know, just just at a, at a surface level here, this notion of not going more than a mile either side, treating it like a river. But why? I mean, what what is it about looking at the road as a river metaphorically or practically makes this a more compelling project?
0: Well, if, uh, from my website, you can tell that I've done a lot of river trips. And when I say river trips, they're mostly by car, except I go over every bridge. I, If there are ferries available, I take them. But I believe there is something very romantic, very uh, compelling about a river. And a river has a lot more history than a road. It go, the river has been here since... Any people, four people have been here, been here. And so you're following history when you're following a river. So there are many layers to photographing that river. There's the architecture, there's the water, there are the bridges, there's, you know, all these other things. The history, the uh, story of how the towns were settled along the river, the transportation of goods and services, you know, farms farm-to-market roads that parallel the rivers. So to me, there is a much richer way of looking at a landscape than just traveling down a straight road. And the metaphor of a river enables me mentally to get into that zone where I, I look at it in a different way than somebody just driving down a road.
1: Uh, it's, you are absolutely right. So, you're from Los Angeles. You're traveling with, with a good friend of yours, you know, Gary from Boston. You guys have been traveling together quite a bit. You, you were telling me a little bit earlier that your whole travel relationship began in the 70s with an old VW bus. Uh, tell, me, t- t-
0: tell me about one of those early trips. Well, the first trip we took, we've, no, we've been friends for 58 years. But the first trip we took together was in a VW bus with a, you know, a couple of other guys and we got on. We got on in, um, in, you know, New York City, and drove across the country, and then back. I actually went back with another group of friends. And it was uh, 1970. It was the height of the hippie era. The Vietnam War, hitchhikers, and we never, we never, you know, stayed in any hotels. We either we mostly camped out and not in, didn't sleep in the bus. But it was we went. 14,000 miles in three months and it cost the whole trip cost me $250. Oh my heavens. Yes. Gas, gas, <laughs> gas was a quarter of a gallon. <laughs> a hamburger was about a, also a quarter. Yep. yep. And that gave me my love of travel because I had, I obviously hadn't worked in the movie business, you know, at that point, I was 19 or 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And, that opened my whole world and in a different way than my maybe traveling with your family because, you know, weren't going on a plane, weren't staying in hotels. We were seeing the country with virgin eyes and understanding the joy of a road trip. I wouldn't recommend it in a 35 horsepower Volkswagen <laughs> bus that you have to li- literally get out and push up a hill or a mountain. Yep, it was, it was eye-opening and unforgettable, and it changed my life.
1: Oh, that, that very well may be the reason to do it in a 35-horsepower Volkswagen bus.
0: Uh, I may be wrong about that. It may have been 54 horsepower. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> we'll do some fact-checking later. You guys have been traveling together for decades now. So tell me how one of these trips begin. Do you call him up and say, I got another idea, and he sort of groans? Or, or how, how do you go about saying, this is going to be our next gig?
0: Basically, I I did, I'd make a decision about where we haven't been, where we could go, you know, what level of interest there might be visually, what the weather and the those conditions might be, because we both hate the cold, even though he lives in Boston, and <laughs> uh, you know his schedule and my schedule have to sync up. Um, you know, he, he's busy, I'm busy, and we could we're coming when meeting from opposite ends of the country somewhere, wherever I've decided we go. And, you know, he's, he's really cool about where we go and when we go, if he's available. Oh man. So
1: you guys flew into Minneapolis, you drove over to Bismarck, uh, North, North Dakota, and then day one came along. So walk me through day one of this trip from getting up from the, the first shot that you took to, you know, closing it down for the night.
0: Well, the the beginning of the trip started a little differently than the rest of the trip because uh, we started the trip officially in Bismarck, which is right on 83. But we had to travel north to the Canadian border and then turn around and backtrack back to Bismarck and then start south, mm-hmm. uh, only going south from that point. So the first pictures I took were on the road on 83 going north towards the Canadian border. Then I you know took took the obligatory shot of the uh, border crossing and then turned around and went in the other direction. And the funny thing about that is even in a place like uh, the prairie out here, when you turn around on the same road, it's like going on a new road. Absolutely. Things completely differently. You see things that you can't turn your head fast enough to see when you're only going in one direction. So that was kind of a a blessing to be able to, to do that first 172 miles in both directions. Do you remember what the first shot was? It was just you know I just wanted to shoot something to get my uh, juices going, so I, I I took a picture of a kind of a roadside attraction. It's hard to describe. I'm going to pull it up right now. It's a bunch of tractor tires piled up to look almost like a cake, mm-hmm. and behind it behind it is uh, are some hay bales and a and a, and a, a field, but the. Tires are painted red, white, and blue, not in the uh, pattern of a flag, but just to get some attention. It's kind of like a roadside piece of art that somebody did with, with the tractor tires and truck tires.
1: Yeah, I, I should tell everybody that you have shared you know, some of these images with me. I'm looking at the same one at, at the moment. I love the little welcome sign that's on there. You know, and of course, it's behind a fence. So you know, welcome behind it. It's got all sorts of layers of meaning there. But it is, you know, you're absolutely right, sort of roadside kitsch in, in North Dakota. Mark, you know, North Dakota is, is where I live. I know this, this area quite well. How do you get over the sameness I mean, you see a steel grain bin, and then you see another steel grain bin, and then a little further on, you see a steel grain bin. How do you find that freshness? How do you find that that sense of origin?
0: I've been wondering that my entire (laughs) photographic (laughs) career. The only way I can describe it is, you know, I'm here. I know kind of, based on my experience traveling around the country, I've been to all 50 states many times over. I've been to 55 countries When I'm on a trip like this, I have some expectations, but I'm always surprised. But I don't know how else to describe it, except I have certain things in my brain I want want to check off. I want to be able to see. And somehow, the thing that I see with my eyes matches some pattern in my brain. And we stop the car and we turn around and we go back and shoot it. And I, I can't explain it any better than that. I, I want something that's different, that has a sense of humor to it possibly, or an environmental theme, or something about the culture of a place. I don't do portraits. Right. And I rarely do interiors. I really enjoy, you know, a traditional road trip where I'm just dri- We're just driving, stopping, shooting, getting back in the car, and trying to find the next interesting thing. Now, obviously, trip I took before this was an exploration of the Connecticut River, which was only 400 miles from right. the Canadian border in Vermont to the...
1: Long Island Sound.
0: Of the the uh, Long Island Sound. That's it. And so, that, because it's so rich in history and so more densely populated, it's it's more target-rich in terms of close together. Here... You may have to drive 30 miles before you find the next thing you want to shoot. And I'm not trying to do straight landscapes because there are many, many photographers that are better at that than me. I try to find something that has layers, you know, a foreground, a background, a middle ground, giving a sense of where we are that might be a little different than what people expected, but also to show people who have never been here, what it is like. So I'm trying I'm, I'm, fire, I'm trying to fire in all those cylinders at once.
1: Well, a couple of questions occur to me. To go back a minute to what you were saying, do you often drive past what you want to shoot and then your brain says, wait a minute, time to go back? I mean, is there a lot of turning around and going back?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when I was starting out as a location manager, a location scout, uh, my brain was a lot more uh, resilient than then. And I, I could see something and process it and know I wanted to stop pretty quickly. But now that I'm, you know, up there, it takes me a while to process what I just saw and whether or not I make a good picture. So very often, especially here, when the speed limits are 65, 70 miles an hour, and we've got you know 300 miles to drive in a day, we most I would say 75 percent of the time we stop and turn back around and go back a half a mile, a quarter mile, a mile, however long it takes my brain to process that that was a good shot and Gary has to turn around find a safe place to turn around.
1: You know, I I envy you that because I find in in my own life uh, as a uh, travel photographer, the uh, ability to turn around is something that takes a bit of um, getting used to. If I'm past something, Oh, I don't want to go back or I'm going to lose some time. Uh, It's taken me quite a long time to teach myself um, to have the patience to turn around and go back and spend the time. But you, you also mentioned 300 miles a day. Is the end of the day a problem? You know, just just the motivation, the anxiety, the I got to get there-ism. Is, is, is that an
0: issue for you? Um, a lot of time. The only issue to me is depending on the time of year, the light, whether or not it's more important to, you know, get dinner and find a hotel, while there's still still good light going on, you know. In other words, if the sun was going down at five o'clock, great, you know, at five o'clock you stop and find what you need to. But if the sun's going down at seven thirty or eight o'clock, there's some conf- conflict going on uh, a lot of a lot of times. Yeah, especially on a trip like this where food and lodging are not that easily accomplished. You really got to plan ahead for it. You've got to. Every day you have to keep checking how close we are to, you know, hotels or lunch or dinner.
1: Yep. Those logistics certainly get in the way out here. Mark, looking at your website, one of the things that really impresses me is that you seem to have found a way to develop maybe a native eye is is the wrong way to describe it, but it's the right idea. Uh, A kind of intimacy, a kind of freshness with whatever you're doing. Some of them are... Some of your portfolios are humorous. Uh, I was chuckling over the one you call hole in the head, which is just a a gallery of those boards that, you know, you see at state fairs and stuff where you can go put your head in a little oval and they've got a painted costume on the outside. Uh, I was loving that thing. And and I'm looking at the Ozarks, which is where my family lives. And I'm thinking, you know, you nailed it. Absolutely.
0: Well, the thing is, it's really funny you said that because I just added to that hole in the head collection today. Oh, you did? Yes. It was, you know where it was? You know the, the giant Buffalo Bill shooting the Buffalo statue? Yeah. Uh, I forget what town that's in, but that's, that's where I found that thing. And it, it will be, that will be added to that portfolio in a week or two. And oh, man. The other, the other question was about seeing kind of as a native. You know, one of the things you have to be able to do as a location scouter manager is to be, you know, you know, parachuted into any place where you've never been before, and within a day or two, have a really good understanding of what's there. You know how that, how that. Where? Okay, I need a, I need a Victorian town, Victorian house in this city. Where is the most likely place to find? How is that city? Looking at a map, how can I find a neighborhood of Victorian homes, or a certain factory, or a road? You have to really be able to. To do that quickly, because you don't, you, you're never given enough time. So I, I've used that skill in the, in my personal photography.
1: Well, it, it certainly served you well. I'm looking at the images here, and you you've got a, a real good sense of this friendly irony. Does that work? The 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 car wash and dog wash picture, for example, to describe it for everyone. There's a Steel side to a building. It's got a big blue and white sign on it. Uh, the left of the sign says car wash. The right side of the sign says dog wash. Uh, and right between them, and a little bit lower, uh, is a vacuum cleaner—an auto, you know, car wash kind of vacuum cleaner. That that picture speaks volumes about what it's like to live up here. But it's not condescending. It, it's not putting anything down.
0: Well, I'm not here to do. You know, there there are plenty of people who do what I call you know poverty porn or. Right, that sort of thing, and I'm not interested in doing exposés. I'm really interested in embracing, you know, where I'm f- photographing, and I'm I'm not a native, and I don't claim to be. And there are other photographers who do an incredible job of embedding themselves in a community when they're taking pictures. They, you know, they do a lot of talking to people, and, and you know, and and you know, getting more into the, the personalities and the you know how their personalities reflect the, the local culture, whereas I want to be completely free of that I want to, I want to be free to go and shoot wherever I want, try not to even go to places which require permission mm-hmm. uh, because I want I don't want anybody hassling me. I want to look at it with my eye. otherwise, you know why not look at anybody's photographs of South Dakota or North Dakota? I hope I bring something and a lot hopefully there's humor or irony in a lot of my images that I bring to the table that someone else might not, and that that what's what differentiates me from another uh, photographer doing the same kind of trip.
1: Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might wanna have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. There, there is humor and irony. There's also generosity and and love and, and real affection in a lot of these pictures. There's a couple of them I want to talk about, but before we get there, tell me tell me a story from your first couple of days because you're only a few days into this trip now. Tell me a road story.
0: Okay, there the the uh, let's talk about the pink the pink outhouse the pink
1: <laughs>
0: Okay. So this this is this is kind of. What I, what I live for. Okay. What we do is we never, when we take a trip, we never, we go into every single town. For example, I did a study of the Ohio river, which is one of my favorite projects and the, we probably went to every town on the thousand miles of the Ohio river on both sides. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of towns, 50 something bridges, ferries, everything.
1: Mhm.
0: So yeah, I can always find something to shoot in these small towns, but what's really great is when I find something in the middle of nowhere to shoot. And who would have expected a pink porta potty in the middle of this field? <laughs> and when we first since since this was part of the trip at the beginning where we were going north and then south again, we passed it going north, but it was it was crowded with road uh, guys doing construction on the road. Mm-hmm. So I said, "You know something? We'll wait. They're probably knock off at four o'clock, and on the way back, hopefully there'll be no one there." And that's exactly what happened. So I got a this clean shot of this, you know, prairie with you know some uh, silos in the background, way in the background, and this pink porta potty that looks completely out of place. But you know, it's funny. It's it, it, there's a uh, a purity to the landscape, but this pink porta potty plunked down in the middle of it, it makes you want to look at it again, see what the hell's going on, and that to me is a is a successful photograph.
1: It well, it is, and and for the people that are going to be looking at it, there's a couple other layers in there too. I mean, I love the fact that the sign on the side of it says turbo. Um, right. You know, th- 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 this is a you know a high speed porta potty here, and there's even a a, a flat a flattened on the ground speed limit sign sitting right behind it.
0: There's also there's also more to it in the sense that I've never ever anywhere I've ever been in the world. Found cleaner bathrooms in in North Dakota. <laughs> Gas stations, restaurants, porta potties, spotless bathrooms. So to find this porta potty, you know, it reinforced that theme for me because I was thinking about it. And so it was, it was just a perfect find for me. There we go.
1: One of my favorite pictures is, is one that if you just. It makes me groan a little bit out of hometown pride, um, is the North Dakota Heritage Center State Museum sign. To describe it for everyone, it's just a little um, cinder block wall. Looks very decorative. Um, and the letters have fallen off. in in completely chaotic ways. If if you didn't know what it was supposed to say, you would never know what it does say. And of course, this is a heritage center. It's supposed to be celebrating history. Tell me about coming upon that sign and taking the shot.
0: You're talking about the sign on the little trailer?
1: No, the sign on the wall. This is number, what,
0: 3456. 3456, one second. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is, yeah, this is, uh, what's, this is my Wheel of Fortune shot.
1: (laughs) Okay, what is that? I get it, I get it. Well, tell me the story.
0: Well, anyway, I was, I wanted to, uh, this is in, this is in Bismarck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to shoot something in Bismarck. So driving around, obviously an obvious place to look would be the, you know, the Capitol Complex and when we, you know, I didn't know what was going to be there except, a, you know, a state capitol building. But there's this, you know, this heritage museum. And I have another shot of that. It, it's really beautiful in morning light. You know, all these, the, the, pic, the picture adjacent to that, the next one, with uh, the, the dinosaur and the picture of the globe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I looked at this and I, it, just, it just seemed very funny to me that the first sign you see entering the capitol complex would be missing letters.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, what does it say about government? And I found, I find North Dakota and, you know, this part of the Midwest, people are very proud and justifiably. And I'm, I'm just, I was surprised to find this. Everything, even when it's abandoned, seems in almost perfect condition. Mm-hmm.
1: There, there, there is quite a lot of that. Tell me how you avoid cliché. Because you are taking pictures of railroad tracks and grain silos and churches and cemeteries and stuff. Is it simply a matter of, you know, choosing the right one? Is it a matter of saying, you know, there might be 500 other pictures of grain silos, but none of them are mine? Is is an awareness of the cliche sitting in the back of your head during this project?
0: Yeah, yes. I mean, when I, I, I posted on Facebook uh the list of parameters of this project. And one of them was, I will studiously avoid cliches until I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and so, you know, is, is, a, is a field of corn a cliche in and of itself? Possibly. But I try to find some layer or element or multiple layers or elements that would make my shot unique. Because if I had to stop every time I saw a pretty field, a ranch or a farm, I'd, I'd never get anything done. So I'm, I'm really looking for something that grabs my attention in addition to the beauty of that location. And Sometimes it could be something ugly or uh, funny or remarkable, but, You know, it could be a sign, it could be a silo, something Mm -hmm. very different or vantage point that maybe, uh, you know, no no one else has figured out. You know, I, I do take pictures of, you know, that's what's here. I mean, endless vistas of fields and farms and ranches, you know, and there's plenty of old motel signs, there's plenty of cliches to explore and kind of rise above. And that's what, that's my ambition.
1: I, I love that as an ambition, and I love the idea of in addition to as a matter of motivation, of 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 deciding what shots to take. Because so often we see something that is gorgeous but is also commonplace.
0: Well, one of the disadvantages, the, the, the single biggest disadvantages of doing a trip like this are you are completely subject to the light and weather conditions. When you're at that moment. So, you know, there's no way I could do a trip like this, you know, in the time I'm doing it, in the style I'm doing it, and wait, sit and wait in a field for two hours for the light to be different or change or improve. So I, I, I'm not depending on the light to make the picture more interesting. I have to depend on what's in front of the camera and what I'm putting in front of the viewer to make them want to look at it a second or third time and I maybe when I'm done with this trip, I might have less than five shots that involve a sunrise or a sunset because lots of people do that. And I, I want people to see what's in the frame throughout the frame. And I can't always, I can't just shoot at dawn and and dusk. So I'm really forced to, you know, with with my pleasure to, make that effort to find again something that unique to put in put in the frame that makes it as good a picture possibly as one that's better lit tell tell me the story of 3539 3539 okay that is i mean how can you beat how can you beat a store that's a meat market and an antique store at the same time <laughs> and it's probably closed forever.
1: For Describe it for people who, who are just listening right now and don't know what the image contains.
0: Okay. So it's a white uh, wood frame, clabbered storefront in a very small town. And it might have been Murdo. Um, no, it isn't. It's not Murdo. And on the left, as you're looking at it, on the left is a boarded up a window above it is murals of a cow and sunflowers and a some kind of building, and on the right and on the middle over the door it says Kramlick's Meat Market, and on the right there's a, a sign in the window saying Antiques and Collectibles. It's the same store, so you know I, I you know how it's just funny, and on top of the Antiques and Collectibles is a, a mural of a cow and. Another uh, ranch house and an ear of corn, and to have that um, juxtaposition of the meat market and antiques and collectibles in the same building is something you never see outside of a rural area. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and and did you drive? Is this one of the ones that you had to turn around for? What? And no, no, what do you no,
0: look? When we get to a small town, that's kind of you know interesting. We we park the car and walk around because you can only. First of all, you, if you're going too fast through a small town, you, there's no way you can see both sides behind you, in front of you. So we try to, to do these small towns by walking.
1: And when, when I'm looking at these images, are, am I looking at Mark's commentary upon small town life? Or are you trying to do honor to the town? You, what is the, the aesthetic that's driving your choice of shots?
0: The aesthetic is the irony and the humor, and also to show people who've never been to places like this, that this is very common in a, in a rural, rural town like this, where you don't, I don't know the story of this place, but I would love to know what the story of this place is. Why didn't they remove the meat market sign, or why didn't they paint over it? Which one came first, the meat market or the antiques? <laughs> um, buildings here get... People have to be really creative about how they make a living. Many of the shops you know they have they have multiple multiple like collectibles and flowers and clothes, all in the same store because there's not that much of a population that have to kind of do everything to stay in business. And then if they don't stay in business, sometimes the building gets reused. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it stays vacant. Sometimes, you know, this is not a rich town. So, you know, who knows why they went out of business, why they didn't change the sign. But to me, it's just a fascinating story to tell. And, but I want to leave it untold. I want people to create their own story.
1: I, I know that as a photographic viewer, as someone who looks at photographs, I love those hints. I love those pro- you know those promises that there's a story here, and it's not explicit. You've got to imagine it. But that opening is is one of the things I find most compelling about photography. Mark, there's a lot of images in here that I just. Absolute gems you know there's Gettysburg, South Dakota, where the battle wasn't. I love
0: that sign <laughs> Now that I couldn't res- we, we, we took a, we took a detour so that that is the only picture in this whole project so far that is outside the one mile uh, zone. but I absolutely I passed it by and I couldn't resist shooting it because it's so funny. And I love I love the fact I love it when a municipality, a town, you know, either has a sense of humor about itself or, you know, really takes care of the people in the community. And obviously this is a, the former. It might be the latter too, but it's certainly the former.
1: Absolutely. There there are pictures here. There's uh, some barrel racing going on in one picture. There are sunsets. There's a community bulletin board where people are just, you know, thumbtacking or stapling notices uh, up to it. There's a real celebration of uh small town midwestern life going on here. But it is still, you know, not simple. So starting at the Canadian border, and now you're, you know, down in liberal Kansas, that's half the country. Tell me what's changed. Tell me what observations you've got about anything from you know culture to geography to yourself. Half the country's done. What are you thinking?
0: I, I've been I, I was here, I was in this part of the country before but not as a photographer. So I had some idea what to expect. I I am very interested in the the yin and yang of rural and urban and how they change places over time. 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, the rural communities were ascendant and the cities were cesspools. You know, I was in, you know, I'm from New York City and in the... In the seventies and eighties, it was like you would get mugged on your way to the drugstore. It was a, it was horrible. Now, you know, I did a movie. I did a movie in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in the mid eighties, and you could shoot a gun down the you know main drag of town and that hit anything that was open or any human being. And it's completely flipped now in terms of where the money is, and. And now it's flipping back again because of COVID telling people they can work remotely. And a lot of people, people I know that, you know, were in the movie business or maybe have retired or they want a better life for their family. now we're moving back to rural communities, maybe where they grew up or maybe a family. So I'm really interested in that dynamic. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to, you know, make fun of or denigrate you know these small towns, the landscapes, the people, either in the city or the country. But I'm interested in how they jockey back and forth because it's a zero sum game. There's only so much prosperity in to give to to go around. No no section of the country, urban, rural, or geographic section, is always the same. It's always going back and forth. So I'm I'm interested in exploring that without. Denigrating it, mm-hmm.
1: and and w- from North Dakota to the middle of Kansas, tell me about the people you've met. Tell me what culture changes well, you've seen. We,
0: we've ver- we've seen very few people, honestly, on the street. These are not places where people are walking around. Generally speaking, the most people <laughs> we see are when we stop in for a meal, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously, the first thing I notice is nobody, nobody's wearing a mask.
1: Not I, yet, I, think, not- I
0: think we've seen 10 people wearing a mask since we got here. I'm not making any editorial comment about it. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, also, the ethnicity from north to, to where we are now has gone from, you know, almost completely white, except for around Minot Air Force Base. There's, you know, some diversity there. You know, down to where we are now in liberal Kansas, which is very, very Hispanic. So, you know, the subtle changes in the people, in the architecture, in the landscape, you know, it's all very flat, but it's also very different. They're growing different things. The landscape subtly changes, you know, from completely flat to some sort of hills. I'm always, I always love when they call something, you know, a, a hill like uh, there's a town you know i'm just making up a name Mark's hill in the middle of south Dakota there's no hill <laughs> And the hill is 10 feet high yeah well, well around here 10 you
1: know 10 feet is is enough to cause some commentary oh you could cause a
0: nosebleed i think
1: <laughs> mark I, i'm loving all, all of these stories and all of this work and I am just as jealous as can be a uh, couple more questions and again your history is worldwide. I mean, you've got California and Florida. You've also got you know, all of Europe, Morocco, Latin America. How much of your experience drives your desire for this trip and what you decide to shoot?
0: The second part of that question, do you mean where, you know, where to go or what to shoot when I'm there? Both. Well, I think I mentioned earlier that I'm looking for a theme. I'm looking for, let's take the Ozarks, for example, okay? Okay. Uh, that's a good example. It's, it's, not, it's not a journey on a river or a road. It's exploration. When, when you say the word Ozarks to people who live on the East Coast or the West Coast, you know, an uh, image comes to mind of a certain way of life, a certain level of education, a certain level of, of uh, culture, a certain way of, culture. And it, that includes me. You know, I could have all these distorted visions of, of a place. And and maybe my vision of it is from the last time I was there 30 years ago. So I want to see what is real, how it's changed. Like, for example, in the Ozarks, or if I did a, a study of in Appalachia that gave me a different impression as to what I was expecting. It was much more modern. It was much more prosperous. You know, the the cliches were there, but there was much more interesting things to see than the cliches. And I was able to, I hope I was able to show people who've never been there that, yes, you know, there are little tiny houses with giant satellite dishes and all that, but there's also a richness to The landscape and rich richness of the culture that may be not what somebody in living in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills might want for their life, but it's certainly worth experiencing.
1: There is in that so much generosity and, and, and so much love because it would be easy, as you said, you know, if you live on the coast, the Ozarks uh, don't strike you as being the center of affluence and on the planet uh, or of interest. And especially when you've been to um, places like Morocco, places like you know, Latin America, it'd be easy to look at the center part of North America and say there is nothing there. But you, st- you, you strike me as someone who is willing to invite every day as a fresh experience.
0: Well, as you've seen, I have 70. This is just from uh, like two and a half days of work. Mm hmm. I have 77 pictures in my folder that I like. You know, we're not talking about how many pictures I've taken, (laughs) but I, I, you know, how, how much richer can it get than that? And you seem to like them too. So I must be doing something okay. And there must be a lot of richness here that, you know, was waiting to be, that I was waiting to see. I was, I wasn't, I was expecting richness, but I also knew that I might have to drive thirty miles instead of five to find it. And that's that's kind of what's happening. We that's why we're spending so much time in the car. Because, you know, I don't want to just take a picture of a a ranch after a ranch or silo after silo. There's gotta be something different about it, something that tells me and the viewer a little bit more.
1: I love every moment of it.
0: Tell me what's up tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going into uh, we're passing out of Kansas into the Panhandle of Oklahoma, and then we may we may take a side trip to Oklahoma just for the fun of it because we're a day ahead of schedule. And but then we, you know we're, we're just going to keep going. Eighty three. It's just incredible. Think about it. They're very popular, famous east west roads. You know, there's Route mm-hmm. sixty six. There's Route ten. There's there's other. There's the loneliest road in America that a lot of people do. But I I never even heard of a road that goes almost 2,000 miles, one road from Canada to Mexico. It's so exciting. So we don't, you know, Texas is going to be a long haul all the way from the border of the Oklahoma panhandle. We're only going to be in Oklahoma unless we take a side trip for probably whatever. 25 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) So we want to. We may want to extend our experience in Oklahoma. That's not part of the project, and take advantage of the day ahead. We are, and then we get it to Texas, and you know that you know West Texas and down all the way down to the border, and um, you know that'll probably take a couple three days, and then we'll head home.
1: And do you have expectations, or is it just whatever comes comes?
0: Whatever comes comes. I'm a little more familiar with Texas. Been there more recently than. Um, you know the Dakotas and Nebraska Kansas and Oklahoma so i have a you know pretty good idea what to expect the thing is i'm i'm going going on this road no matter what <laughs> it's like i'm on a i'm on, like i'm on a boat or a train track i'm not leaving the road except maybe to go like a mile but if i see something off in the distance and so whatever i see doesn't change the project i just have i have to find interesting things to shoot. I have to open my mind to what's there. If I, if I take LA with me, I'm going to fail.
1: Oh, I I think that that is a marvelous note to end on. I am envious. I am jealous. I cannot wait to see uh, the full collection. And then the final project, Mark, this has been fascinating. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Scott. And thank you also for putting me together with Shane, who is One of the most remarkable people (laughs) I've ever met, let alone one of the most remarkable photographers I've ever met. And thank you so much for your help in planning this trip. And thank you for this uh, really enjoyable conversation and for being a fellow member of Frames, which is an incredible organization.
1: I I couldn't agree with you more. And it's been my pleasure. When I saw you were planning this trip, I had to get in touch and say, you're coming to my neighborhood. let's, Let's chat. So thank you, sir.
0: Thank you. Take care. We'll talk soon. Frames. Because
1: excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.